pray. Pray over these next few moments that we might be able to focus our attention Him on the truths of your word, that we might be able to hear what it is that you are saying to us. So thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that cleanses our hearts from sin. It's in his name we pray this morning, and it's for his sake that we gather. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. If I were going to do some man-on-the-street interviews and ask the question, what is the church? Probably most people would respond that the church is a building where people gather to worship God. And by some definitions, they'd be correct, right? We're building a church. By that definition, we're building a church on 496 High Street, right here in South Paris. And Every week I get at least three questions asking when we're going to be there. I know, when we come in here and, and uh, we dream about what could be, we're all anxious. And that's one definition of the church. Also by that definition, we could learn that there are about 385,000 churches in the United States. That's almost 8,000 churches per state. That's a lot of churches. When we drive around the streets of our community, we see little churches everywhere. We also read that some estimates are that there are 250 million Christians in the United States. Now I want to think about that for a minute. 250 million Christians in the United States, that means that 66%, according to that statistic, 66% of the population of this country are Christians. Do you think, looking around, that two out of every three people in this country have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, are seeking to live a life that's honoring to Him, are following the truths of Scripture? You think two out of three people in the state of Maine are walking with God every day? Two out of three people in our community here in the Oxford Hills? Unfortunately, I don't think that's the case. I wish it was. I wish 66% of this community was walking with God every day, but I don't think so. So how do we measure these things? First, we need a definition. How do we define the church? Or more importantly, for our purposes here this morning, how does the Scripture define the church? What does God's Word say is the church? And I want to give you that definition this morning. The church, the Scripture says, the church is the community of all true believers in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have come to some of our theology classes that I've done, in particular if you've been to Theology 202, we spend a whole class talking about the church. And this is a definition we use. The church is a community of all true believers in Jesus Christ. The word church appears in our English Bibles 120 times in the New Testament. And it's the Greek word ekklesia. And it was used in that culture to define an assembly or a gathering. And when we look at the word literally, it means those who are called out, or we could say the called out ones. And when God uses this word, ecclesia, 
to describe us, what he is calling us, is those who are called out. Called out of something, called out of this world, we're going to see. And by simple deduction, when we are called out of something, when we are called out of this world and this culture, we are called to something else. The scripture is full of those references defining that, and that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that in that moment when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. He places us in the church. That's not the kind of water baptism that we have at the Young's Pool in the summer times when people come and are baptized. That's water baptism. That's identifying with Jesus Christ. But this baptism that happens at the moment of salvation is that moment when the Holy Spirit indwells us, comes into our hearts, and by doing so places us in the church, makes us one of the called out ones. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. In Acts chapter 2, we read that the Lord added to the church daily people who were being saved. In Acts 20, Paul challenged pastors and shepherds to feed the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, we're commanded to edify and encourage the church. So what are we called out of and what are we called to? What really makes the church the church. And that's what we're going to talk about together over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the distinguishing marks of the church. We're going to talk about our fellowship. We're going to talk about our worship. We're going to talk about our mission, our leadership, our holiness, our prayer. But we begin here today with our definition. The church is the community of all true believers in Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the church is its doctrine. That's what we're going to see this morning. So in order to find out what God has to say about the church and its doctrine, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have your Bible there, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read four verses together as we discuss this, how we are distinguished from the rest of the world by our doctrine, that is, by what we believe. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14, if you have it there, Paul says this, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul is writing the book of 2 Timothy, and he's writing it to Timothy. That's why it has that name. Timothy was a young man who had been mentored by Paul. He was nurtured by Paul in the truth of the gospel and in the scripture. And in this new doctrine of the church, all of these new things that Christ had taught when he was here on earth, and now he had sent Timothy out, and Timothy was serving in a local church in the city of Ephesus. 
And so Paul is communicating with Timothy and reminding him the things, these are the things that you need to be mindful of. This is how the church needs to function. Let's notice verse 14 again. He says, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. So let's notice a couple of things here. First of all, he says you need to continue in what you've learned. Continue in it. That means just to stay, to remain, to abide, to keep going in what you have learned. My friends, when it comes to us as a church, when it comes to our responsibility together, as we grow, we have to keep going in it. When we come to understand what God's Word means, it's not a moment in time, it's a lifetime. It's not one moment where you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is who He says. That's important. That's the beginning. But it's one moment of the rest of our lives. And Paul says to Timothy and to us, you need to continue in what you have noticed, what you have learned. If we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we're going to be the church that He has called us to be, then there is learning that needs to take place. What does that tell us? What can we deduce from what He is saying? What can we infer here? Well, if we need to learn what it means to be His people and to be the church, that means that what we need in order to do that is not where? In us. It's not in us. Now already, five minutes into our understanding of what distinguishes us as a church, we're already seeing that we are different from the rest of the world. Because what does our culture constantly bombard us with? You have everything that you need inside of you. You just have to let it out. You just have to nurture it. By the way, we are seeing what happens when everybody lets out what's inside of them. That's what's happening right now. For generations, for hundreds of years, human civilization has been taught what is commonly called humanism. That is that we all have just a little bit of the divine inside of us and we need to nurture that and we need to grow it and we need to follow that light inside. Let me tell you something, folks. There is no light inside of us naturally. Now, God has created us and therein we have inherent value and yet we know what's inside of us is sinfulness. And Paul tells Timothy, if you are going to be the God-following man that, I'm call- that God is calling you to be, if you're going to be a leader in the church, if the church is going to be the church, then we need to learn what that means. It does not come naturally to us. The word learned here is the same root word as the word disciple. Most of you, maybe all of you are familiar with in the Gospels, when Christ came onto the scene and he called his disciples. He went down to the shore and Peter and Andrew were fishing and he said, leave your nets and follow me and be my disciple. And he went around the community and he selected these 12 men. The word disciple means learner. 
He selected them. He drew them to himself. He asked them to follow him so that they could learn his ways and learn his principles. If you want to fly an airplane, you need to learn how to do it. If you want to operate an excavator, if you want to be an electrician, if you want to be a software engineer, you have to learn how to do it. It doesn't come naturally. Nor does it come naturally to us to honor God and to live for Christ. And I want you to notice here in the next verse that for Timothy, this process started very early on. Look what it says. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The word childhood actually literally means infancy. It means when Timothy was like this, in his mother's arms, he began to become acquainted with the truth. Sometimes people ask me and ask Tim, well, when, sh when should we start teaching our children to read the Bible? When should we start teaching our kids about Jesus Christ or our grandkids? Can I tell you when? When they're like this. From infancy. I can remember sitting with Gavin in my lap. <clears throat> As you know, if you know Gavin, that was a long time ago. <laughs> sitting with Gavin in my lap, cradling him, reading from a little Bible storybook that we had. Now, I didn't whip out my 30-pound King James and uh, read to him all the therefores and thous and thou shalt nots. But from infancy... We began to teach him the Word of God. That's what happened in Timothy's life. From infancy, he began to become acquainted with the sacred writings, the Scripture, the truth of the Word of God. The word acquainted there means to see and to understand and to grasp, and it implies a process that happens. The first time, and I say mother because in other writings we understand that it was Timothy's mother and grandmother who were believers. Uh, we don't know anything about Timothy's father other than that he wasn't a Jew. He was a Greek. We don't know if he knew the Lord or not, but Timothy's mother and grandmother began to teach him. And, and I'm sure the first time they started to teach him about the truth of the Scripture, he didn't understand it all. And that's the common refrain, right? When we think about our children and grandchildren, well, they can't possibly understand this. No, they're not going to understand all of it, but we begin then. And by a process of learning, they come to understand the truth of the Scripture. I want you to notice why this was so important in Timothy's life. It says there, Paul says that the Scripture makes him, made him wise for salvation. Now, the word salvation means rescue or deliverance. And so when we properly understand salvation, what we understand is that when we are saved, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and gives us new life, that we are rescued from sin. We're called out of that life. And that reminds us of our definition of the word church, right? Of ecclesia, which means the called out ones. Now, I don't know 
all of you that well. Some of you I don't know at all, so I don't know your story, I don't know your background, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, especially for some of you, you may be able to think back, maybe in the not-too-distant past, at what your life was like before Christ saved you. And if you can do that, if you can remember what your life was like then, you may remember that feeling of being saved out of, rescued out of a way of life that was no longer appealing to you, that was harmful to you spiritually and emotionally and physically. And that's what happens when we are saved. We are rescued. In Romans, Paul says that, we're, that without Christ, that we're slaves to sin. I think it's so very interesting that, that often when I talk to people who don't know the Lord, one of the things they say is, well, you know, but if, if, I, if I start going to church or if, if I ask Christ to save me, then there's a whole bunch of things that I like to do that I won't be able to do anymore. I'll, I'll lose some of my freedom because isn't the Bible all about the Ten Commandments? Isn't it thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that? But the reality is, without Christ, we don't have freedom. We're not free to do whatever we wish. We're slaves to sin, Paul says. The heart of the church is its doctrine, and the heart of doctrine is the truth of salvation. And Scripture is the only source of that saving truth. It is the only place where we learn that there is another way to live our lives. In Acts 4.12, speaking of Jesus, Peter says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And in Romans 10.17, Paul says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. There's only one way to be saved. It's Jesus Christ. There's only one way to find out about Christ. It's in the Word of God. And the only way that we know that is by hearing it, by reading it for ourselves or having it told to us. The doctrine of the truth of salvation changes our lives, and it's only found in the Scripture. Some of you are relatively new to Mossbrook Church. Maybe for some of you this is the first time you've ever been here before. What you are going to see, one of the distinguishing characteristics that you're going to see about this church is that every Sunday we take the Word of God and we speak and teach and read from it. And this is where we get our guidance. This is where we get our wisdom. This is the only place where you will read of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture. How many of you have an actual paper Bible sitting in front of you right now? Oh, I see so many smiling faces. The rest of you are going to go home and feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just genuinely curious. Now, how many of you that have a paper Bible sitting in front of you mark in your Bibles? Okay, for those of you who don't, let me just reassure you, it's okay to mark in your Bibles. It's not sacrilegious, 
okay? It's okay. And if you do, and if you have a writing implement with you right now, a pencil or a pen or a highlighter or something, circle the word all. Circle the word all. And now notice that first phrase again. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The true church embraces the entire Word of God. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. The whole thing. The entire Word of God. Why do we do that? Well, because it says all Scripture is breathed out by God. I won't bore you with the details of this word here other than to tell you it literally means that the words of Scripture have come to us directly from God. They are God's words. This is not somebody's opinion. I don't know how often uh, you folks sit down and read a book. I love to read. I love to read all kinds of different things, but I often sit down and read books about what it means to walk with God and, and books about what the Scripture says. And, and I recognize when I'm reading those books, they are one person's opinion. And it's very rarely that I pick up a book like that and I read it and that I agree with everything that's in that book. Often I'll read something and I'll pass it along to someone else and when I pass it along to them, I'll say something like, now look, you may not agree with everything that's in the book, but there's a lot of good points here. There's a lot of things that you can learn from. So take what is good and leave what is not behind. But we don't say that with the Scripture. All Scripture comes directly from God. And it must be taken in its entirety. We can't pick and choose what we like. We can't pick and choose what we'll obey. And this is what distinguishes us as the true church. Now, please remember that the church is the community of all true believers in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that this church is the only true church in the Oxford Hills. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, that a true church will take the entirety of Scripture, all Scripture, comes directly to us from God. If for whatever reason you are not here at this church and you go to another church and you walk in and you hear them say something like, these are the parts of Scripture that we agree with, these are the parts we don't, please get up and walk out and don't go back. All Scripture comes to us directly from God. And Paul says it's profitable, it's, it's useful, it's beneficial it makes us wise for salvation, right? We saw that in the last verse. This is how we learn about Jesus Christ. This is how we learn that we need to be saved. But it also provides us instruction for sanctification. Sanctification is simply our progression in holiness. Remember a few moments ago I told you that that moment of salvation is just one moment. And it's the beginning. It's the beginning of what God has called us to. And so when we read God's Word, not only do we learn there what we need to know in order to be saved, 
but we learn what we need to know in order to become more like Christ. That's a progression that must continue to happen throughout our lives. So the Holy Spirit takes God's Word, helps us to understand what it needs to be saved. Once we are saved, then He also takes God's Word and launches in us this process of becoming like Christ. Notice what Paul says here. What it is beneficial for, four different areas he mentions. We'll just look at each one very briefly. First of all, for teaching. This word, I want you to understand, does not refer to the method, but the content. It's useful, it's beneficial to us for teaching. In other words, the Bible is not just useful to show me how to teach, but rather what to teach. The Bible contains what needs to be taught. It's the truth alone. It's comprehensive. It's complete. Everything that we need is here. We're going to see that in just a moment. So it's profitable for teaching. But it's also profitable for reproof. Now that word simply means for conviction and for persuasion. Now again, he's not talking about simply the act of reproving, the act of convicting or persuading. He's talking about the content. The contents of the Word of God are beneficial to us for conviction, for correction, or for conviction. It exposes our error and sin. When we look in the Word of God and we read what's in there and we compare it to our hearts, it should help us to see where we are wrong. Now, once again, this is something that is very foreign in our culture today. In fact, people don't want to be told when they are wrong. They want to just do whatever they want to do, right? Nod your head if you've experienced that in our culture today. If you haven't, please wake up and smell the coffee. Okay? This is our culture. Don't correct me. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Don't reprove me. Just let me be. Let me live. And this is my, I was going to be sarcastic and say favorite phrase in the whole world, but I'll just be straightforward and say my least favorite phrase in the entire world. Just let me live my truth. Don't reprove me. Don't convict me. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. This is one of the main functions of God's Word is that it shows us where we are wrong. God's Word is a standard by which we must compare our lives so that we might see those ways in that, we are, that we are in error or that we are sinful. The book of James says that the Word of God is like a mirror. We've talked about this before. It's like a mirror and if you turn into the Word of God and see what it says and walk away, you're like a man who looks in the mirror and, look, and turns away and forgets what he was. I like to sleep on my side, and I'm going to give you a very personal piece of information. When I sleep on my side, for some reason, I have a habit of putting my hand like this on my head. I bury my face on the pillow, and I put my hand like this. And so when I get up in the morning and I go into the bathroom and I go to the sink, 
to wash my face, to shave, to brush my teeth, and I look up in the mirror, I usually do something like, because my hair is sticking all over the place. Now I have two choices when I do that. I could look, be shocked, and turn away and get dressed and go out into the world and, and about my day. Or I can say, something needs to be done about that. That's the picture that Paul is giving Timothy of the Word of God. It's a mirror. When we look into it and we see what is right, it exposes what is wrong about us and we need to do something about it. He says not only is it good for teaching and reproof, but for correction. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word is used, and it means restoration. And in the Greek culture, it was used of what you would do if you were walking down the street and you saw someone who stumbled and fell, and you reached down and took their hand and you helped them up to their feet. That's the word. What I love about this is that when we read this verse, we see God is not just about exposing the error of our ways and leaving us there, but he is also about helping us back to our feet and restoring us. That's what this means. The fourth word is training. Literally, discipline, instruction that leads to maturity. We need conviction. We need to see what's wrong. We need reproof. We need correction. We need to be helped back to our feet. We need to be restored. But we also need consistency. We need to make progress. We need to discipline ourselves so we don't keep falling down. Now listen, I'm very thankful that when the Word of God shows me where I'm wrong, it also helps me back to my feet and restores me. This is what you need to be doing. But it gets really old when every five minutes you trip and fall flat on your face. You need to learn to stay on our feet. And that's what this word means. The discipline to make progress so that we are not constantly falling. And the Word of God does that. 1 Timothy 4.6 says this, to, uh, Paul says this to Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. I know the word doctrine is not an exciting word, but I love the description in this verse. This is what must characterize our church. If we put these things before you, You'll be trained in the faith, that consistency, progress, so that you are not continually falling. Verse 17, back in 2 Timothy 3, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The interesting thing to me when I look at this verse is that the word complete and equipped in our English Bible are really the same word. Paul says it twice. The only thing he does the second time when he says equipped is he puts a little prefix on it that strengthens it. So what he's really saying is this. 
When we do this, when we accept the Word of God in its entirety, when we allow it to be the content by which we are taught, when we allow it to reprove us and correct us and discipline us, then we will be complete, really complete, for everything God wants us to do. That's what he's saying here. So that we'll be ready, really ready to do what God wants us to do. You should know also that verse 17, this statement, is in the passive voice. Now, I know how you all love it when we talk about grammar. This is important. It's in the passive voice, which means this. This is what happens to us when we follow the Word of God, when we allow the Holy Spirit to take its truth and to change our lives. We can't do it. Have you ever been, you know, just kind of chugging along, for those of you that are Christ followers, chugging along, trying to do what's right, and you keep tripping and falling down, and you start getting sick of your forehead smacking the concrete every 10 minutes, spiritually speaking? Why do I keep doing that? I keep tripping over that same thing. I keep falling. I wish I could change myself. I wish I could make myself be better. Therein is the problem. You are frustrated trying to change yourself because you cannot change yourself. You cannot do it. Paul says that the Word of God by the Holy Spirit makes these changes in our lives when we submit ourselves to Him and we say, I'll listen, Lord. I'll receive it. I'll soak it up. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes us. That's the impact. That's the end result of the Scripture's work in the receptive believer's heart. Our job is to receive it, to listen, to accept it, to look in the mirror and not turn away, which is easier and faster, but to stay and do the hard work. The reading and studying and learning of the truth is effective. And Paul is saying here that we can be prepared to make the right decisions in every area of our lives that pleases God. It prepares us for every righteous action. That's, that's what Paul is saying in verse 17. So let's review our definition of the church, okay? The church is the community of all true believers in Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the church is its doctrine. The truth of the Word of God is spiritual wealth you need to continually be depositing in your mind so that when you need it, you can access it at any time. When you're living your life, when you're confronting temptation, when you're making decisions on the issues of morality, when you're raising your children, when, you're, when you're, in, you're interacting with other people, our belief in the Word of God distinguishes us. This is the, the core, the foundation. Everything about us as a church springs from this. It springs from the truth of the Word of God. 
our understanding of worship and, and holiness and mission and leadership and prayer and all of those things comes directly from the Word of God. Now, I need you to do something for me here. I need you to promise me something. That if I ever stop teaching you from this every week, then I want you to take me out back and put me out of my misery. I'm serious. This is what distinguishes us. Our reliance, our dependence, our absolute focus on the truth of the Word of God. All the way back in Exodus 24 and verse 7, we read this. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. There's that word again, all. All. Everything. You and I cannot afford to be Chipotle Christians. Everybody been to Chipotle? No? Eight people. I'm shocked. Okay. Well, let me explain to you how it works. You walk in because you want a burrito. If you want something other than a burrito, then you better go someplace else because Chipotle equals burritos. You walk in, you walk up to the front, and there's a long counter. And there's 25 different things there that you can choose from to go into your burrito. And the magic of Chipotle is you only have to have what you want in your burrito. It's not like McDonald's where they just slap everything in there and throw it out the window at you. And you take what you get. You say, oh, I, I, I want steak. And I want brown rice. And I want black beans. And I need to have guacamole on it. But don't put any of those jalapenos, and I don't want those pickled onions, and I don't want your sour cream either. I want it like this. We can't be Chipotle Christians. We can't pick and choose what we like. Oh, I really like what God says about, about language. I need to watch my language. But oh, I don't like what God says about relationships. I can do what I want over here. I really like what God says about raising your children, but boy, this money stuff, I don't like that. No, you've got to take it all. You've got to take all of it. And this is what distinguishes us as a church, that we believe and are obedient to everything that the Bible says. One more verse, John 14, 15. Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Are you doing that? Because this is a commitment we make as a church, as, as elders, as leaders. We will follow the truth of the Word of God. But there's an individual commitment here for you too. You need to determine that you are going to follow the truth of the Word of God. Where do you stand? What distinguishes the called out ones of the true church? their doctrine, what they say and what they do. So my question for you as we close, we're going to sing a couple of songs together, but my question for you is this, what are you building your life on? What's the foundation of your life? 
your idea of how things should be or the full and entire truth of the Word of God. That is our distinguishing characteristic.